I watched something happen in uh, Little Rock last night that uh, I think will change our church's future. Uh, Austin Roman won a year full of Yarnell. And he's not here today, so we're going to all conspire to uh, call him Austin Braden Freeze Bowman for the rest of his life. Maybe at least for the year. Uh, I, and also, um, they won the game, and that was great. And, and I, I really am, uh, it, it, for some it's just like, well, it's football, you know, so I have that attitude. But it, it's also, uh, we, we have people here who work really hard for that. And that was such the best achievement they could have done. So we do the Whatever, because it, it, what we want is um, people to succeed. Uh, and Andrew Westfall is the fireman of the year for Howard County, <laughs> which is, uh, I think we took that, do we get to keep the trophy at the church? Is that true for the state championship trophy? Again, okay, so that's here, so stay here. Uh, we have the highest majority of coaches and administrators. Uh, well, we have the most important ones, right? <laughs> you know, uh, there were some nervous people in the crowd uh, last night uh, whenever uh, they, they, the other team had, is it Prairie Grove? Is that okay, Prairie Grove had a, a, a tight end who was eight feet tall. <laughs> and uh, he caught the first touchdown after we scored the first touchdown. And there were some people... Traders in the stands who were a little nervous thought, how are we going to stop him? And I went around spreading the good news that Brad Cheshire was on it. And he would have it figured out by halftime, and he did. And we're very proud to have him and DJ and all, all of them be a part of our, our church. They do a good job. Okay, now, this, this isn't the good news of the scrappers. This is the good news of Jesus, so we're going to move on. But I am, I am very proud of our people. They work hard and they um, do well. Um, so, I have a favorite Christmas song that isn't a typical favorite. Actually, I don't think people like it very much. To be honest, I don't like it very much. But there's a line in it that really gets me. And whenever I was a kid, it, I just liked the song in general. Uh, it was Little Drummer Boy. Uh, it's an annoying song, over and over again. And I, what I love is whenever you get like these pop singers to sing Christmas songs and they have to passionately sing something they're not all that passionate about. Uh, I think Silver Bells is my favorite. Whenever you have like Whitney Houston going ring a ling, ding a ling, you're just like, I don't know if you mean that. Uh, maybe that's just funny to me. But there's but they're, they're having to sing Rump Pump Pump over and over again. And whenever you play this in band, I was a drummer in band, when you play this, they hand you out Little Drummer Boy. We're playing Little Drummer Boy. And you think, oh, great. That's me. I'm ready to go. Put it up on the, the stand to read the music. I do nothing. <laughs> this song is worthless. I mean, at least I thought there would be some, some you know, measures 
And sometimes in, ja- in drum sheet music, especially in jazz, they'll, they'll have this bar, and it'll say, it'll just have this bar, and it'll say two on top of it, and it'll just say fill, which means go nuts, right? Do your thing for two measures, and then get back on track. Uh, that I thought, little drummer boy is going to have like a 16 measure fill, and I just get to fill. I get to go nuts for no. Possibly imagine all through the whole song, and but there is this line in that song that gets me because the song, the song is set in this, the passage we're going to talk about. The song is set right in the heart of the passage we're going to talk about. It's a made-up story, not the passage we're talking about, but the song. Just this made-up story it didn't happen. It's an interesting take on it. In Matthew chapter two. The Magi visit the babe in Bethlehem. Now, they show up because they think that, they, they know the Messiah has been born. The stars have told them. Now, you may think, this is kind of odd. Because the only people we know who talk about the stars are people saying, well, I'm a Pisces, and Pisces are like, we, we just know crazy people who read their horoscopes. Now, you may read your horoscope, but you're not one of the crazy ones that do it right. But it's this, this like, sense of, well, that's not, but like, reading the stars isn't the... It's like a healthy thing. There's times in the Bible that talks about magic and this sort of this sort of thing and says it's not good. But these guys come from Persia. Now, if you know your biblical history at all, and most Christians don't, the the <laughs> it's just true. Where were the Magi from? Everyone says they together Persia. They were from Persia. Who did they meet up with? Who, who was a Magi in Persia in your Bible? A very famous Magi in Persia. Daniel. Alright, we're learning. Kicking it on all cylinders. Now listen, hold on. i got to say this. You came in the rain, and a lot of you drove back from Little Rock tonight, or last night, to come in the rain this morning, and you get your bonus points. You will, but you got to pay attention. You don't have to pay attention. I'll come. Back. I'll come to you. How about that? The 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 magi. Daniel was a magi. He was one of the wise men. One of the magic men. He, the main role of magi in Persia, the Persian area, was to interpret dreams. Guess who was the best at that? Daniel. And so Daniel hangs out mostly with magi. Now we always say wise men. As you'll see in your Bible, if, you, if it's translated magi, it'll say at the bottom, traditionally, wise men. Which means, that's not how we should translate it. It's just magi. We get this, we get, from this word, we get our word, magic. They were thought of as magic people. They could, they could decipher dreams, they could do pretty fanciful things, and they could decipher the stars. So Daniel seems to have influenced the, uh, the, the Magi in Persia to think there is coming a Messiah in Israel and he's coming 
And we will be able to tell. And Daniel tells, gives them these hints, and they have figured it out. Now, one of the things Daniel does not address is where this Messiah is going to be born. So they show up in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is just the capital city. Well, let's just go to the capital and start asking people, where's the Messiah going to be born? All right, let's, now let's read this. Matthew chapter 2 says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now notice what happens. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. Now this is, this is, the reason they're disturbed is twofold. King Herod's disturbed, disturbed because he's the king of the Jews. That was his title. And the people are disturbed because, wait, what? It'd be like someone coming in here, pagan. Someone who came in and they're still they're still dusty from their Saturday evening worship at the bar. And they stagger in while I'm preaching. And walk up here on the stage. And at that moment you have um, church anxiety. Different from regular anxiety. Regular anxiety in life makes you think, oh no, I need to do something. Church anxiety, when something happens in church, you all think, oh no, what's somebody else going to do? Well, this guy walks up here and he stands here and he says, did y'all know that Jesus came back? Now, every single one of us would say, that's disturbing. That's odd. But he was super passionate about it, and it didn't turn out to be right. It would be all the more disturbing. But you gotta remember the Jewish people at this time were pretty protective of their nationality. That the Messiah, when he came, would be would it, it would be told to the ones who know the law all the best, to the ones who have studied the prophets most consistently. But all of a sudden, these magic men from Persia come in and say, where's the Messiah? We know, we know he's here. And everyone's scrambling for a How would you? Why? When? It's confusing, and it's disturbing. King Herod calls the men together. King Herod, when he had called together all the people's chief priests, and teachers of the law, so like the, the main, the priestly family, and uh, probably better interpreted scribes here, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them, he's going to use this later whenever he starts killing children. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child as soon as you find him. Report to me so that I too may go and worship him. 
And then the Magi said, why don't you put quotes around worship him? And he said, it doesn't matter. What King Herod does, what um, people in power often do, is he, he they came to him and said, where, 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 where's this Messiah? He, says, um, he calls the experts in secretly and says, where, where's Messiah? And they say, Bethlehem. And he goes over here and he says, well, I know. <laughs> it's Bethlehem. I'll call a secret meeting. You guys will go. You go worship them. And then come tell me, King Herod is threatened by a baby. So the, the Magi go and find this child. What did they do? After they had heard the king, they went on their way. The star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. You notice the thing that we always say they did isn't the first thing that they did. Like for us, the wise men, the magi, come and they have gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And they give it to Jesus. They present it to Jesus. Um, some preachers, right now it's the common uh, tendency to get all upset that if the Bible never says it's three. It's not three wise men, everyone, and it's not definitely not three kings. Okay, it's not kings. But it could have been three, it could have been four, it could have been seven, it could have been twelve, it doesn't matter. If you want to say three and that makes you happy, say three. Do it. You can be incorrect. And God still loves you. But the, these guys show up and they have three gifts. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And that's our story. But the story starts with they found him and worshipped him. They found the baby and worshipped Now back to the little drummer boy. Little drummer boy um, has an awful idea. He shows up with these three kings. He thinks and decides, well, I, they're giving their gifts, but I don't have any gifts to bring. But I do have this drum. I can play this drum for this baby. That's what babies love, right? <laughs> Banging on drums. It's a horrible gift idea. But he says, this is all I have. I will play my drum for him. The line of the song is, I have no gifts to bring. I'll play my drum for him. For some reason, that, that line gives me chills every time. It's such a hokey song, but that line, when he say, I don't really have a thing except the thing I have. I don't really have anything to give except for the thing I have to give. See, what we don't understand is that the things that we think we don't have, the things that we have to give that we don't think are worthy, are perfect. And you may not think, well, I'm not the sort of person to give myself, like, to work for God. 
The thing you have is perfect. I, I thought about this a lot over the course. I knew we were coming to this sermon. I've known we were coming, we're coming to this sermon for a while. And I've, I've watched um, our, our team, the Scrappers. And I said our team. Yes, I know that's a victory for some of you. Or the Queen Boy, say our team. Sorry, Randy. Uh, but there's, I've watched our team play. And I've watched the way our coaches coach. And especially coaches I know. DJ and Brad specifically. And you have the sense of we, they are doing what they know how to do for a bigger cause than just a state team. You have this sense of there are people who are teaching for a bigger cause than just passing in the school. We have this sense of there are people who are working their jobs for a bigger cause than just the bottom line. And that matters to the world. Play on in worship to the King. What you are doing on a daily basis is is not, is the only way it's determined as worship or not worship is whether you offer it as worship. My coaching, my teaching, my singing, my playing of my drum, my silliness, my sternness, my, my awkwardness, my, my leading, my following can be offered as worship as if you present it. And so while you may look around and say there's gold and there's frankincense and there's myrrh, how can I compete with that? Play on. Do the things you've always done and offer them as worship to God. The, the holiness of your monotony can glorify the King. When I can tell, that drummer boy played a pretty pathetic song. I've played that song on the drums, and it is bored. <laughs> and from what I can tell, it's not all that useful for a baby. I'm sure Jesus, as an adolescent, enjoyed the drum more than the baby did. But you have something to give. And you may not be the right sort of person, but neither were the Magi. Persians, not Jews. Sorcerers of sorts, not priests. So, so far we've got shepherds and, and foreigners showing up to honor the king. As far as the biblical story goes, those of you who aren't Jewish are foreigners too. Trying to figure out what you can give the king. But I would argue that, the, that your gifts to God, your gifts to the king Jesus, your, your 
used to what God is doing into his kingdom doesn't start with an inventory of your talents. It starts with you bowing down and worshiping the king. It starts with you being able to say, I, I know that you are greater, even as a small child, even as a defeated rabbi on a cross. I know that you are greater than I am, and you will, you are worthy of worship. And once we get it in our heads consistently that God is worthy and that Jesus is worthy of our worship, daily worship will start to emerge once again the things that never needed to be dissected. We'll start to bring together the idea that my, the, the type of father I am is worship. The type of husband I am is worship. The type of child you are is worship. The type of leader you are is worship. The way you interact with the world is worship. And what you have to give is what you have to give. But in the context of worship, no matter how great or small, no matter how meaningful or seemingly insignificant it is, it can be given. Jesus tells the story of, or actually notices a woman who gives just a little, just, just this tiny little coin at the temple. Just kind of nothing to people. Something people wouldn't, you know, I get, some of you have gotten to the age where you want to pick up the penny, but it's not worth bending over for. You see a penny and you're like, well that's a worthless adventure. I'm not going on that one. <laughs> My head's always been so big that it's never been, like, not arrogance, although that's the case sometimes too, but like my cranium is actually so large that bending over is a task. That was, that was funnier to some of you than it should have been. Now, the, there was a nothing of a coin. People wouldn't even stop to pick up that coin. But he says she's giving more because she's given what she has. And I want you to know that whenever you're doing all you can do, you're doing all you can do. And that's more than most people do. You may think, I'm not really, I'm not really gifted in this area. You don't have to be gifted in that area. You're gifted in what you're gifted in. You can do what you can do. So do it in worship. Let it be worship. But I would actually argue that if you switch it and you say, I'm going to worship and then do. I'm going to worship and then give. Then you'll start seeing your life as it exists already in worship. And you will do things for the glory of God. I really appreciate it. Um, I really appreciate the people who do their jobs for higher purpose. That matters to this world. And whenever you think, I, I've got a job to, um, to keep the school running. Or to keep a 
plant. That's probably a very vague job description of superintendent or keep this team running, coach, or keep this class somewhat organized as teacher. But I've got a job and it seems overwhelming at times, but I'm not just here for this, I'm here for that. I'm just doing this for this, I'm doing this for that. You get to that place, and what I'm very thankful for is I look around this room and I see people who are at that place where they're, they're doing something or something like that. You're offering your gifts. So for a lot of you, this is just me saying thank you. That your example is uplifting, encouraging, the way you handle your business is um, glory, gives glory to God. And listen, there may be times that you forget that. But it's not because when the glory doesn't go away, you just forget it because it can be hard. People can be mean. Especially in Nashville, there are so. Um, Mark, Mark Props um, always tells me preaching is like coaching, there's a lot of amateur opinions. Too many amateur opinions. I, it cracks me up to go to a football game. And they'll, they'll run a play. They'll go this way. And they'll they'll tackle the guy like four or five yards. Four or five yards is great. Not great in Nashville. They want 75,000 yards every play. But he didn't score a touchdown. Well, he got close. But they'll say things like, whole other side of the field was open. It wouldn't have been if he ran that way. The defense didn't go, I'm, I'm going over there no matter what. <laughs> People just get so crazy at these games and they say the craziest things. You run a play and they run, I guess you should have passed it there. Yeah. Coach. <laughs> but, like, we, they, they, we want. It can be hard, it can be overwhelming, it can be, it can be tough to lead. People can second guess you constantly. It may not feel like what you're doing sometimes is to the glory of God, but it is. You keep worshiping God as you do. Just do what you have. Do what you, what you, what you can. That changes the world. So for most, most, and I would, I would say all of you, keep it up. But if there's some of you who are thinking, and I'm not thinking this about you, but there's some of you thinking, like, I don't really do, I really, I do my business for the bottom line. I do my business for, I don't see it as something bigger the first step is not to start doing your, what you do for the glory of God. Your first step is to worship. Worship the King. Get good at that. And then let that worship lay over onto your day. Teenage. If you aren't doing this now, you'll be bad at it as an adult. And you'll have to figure it out then. 
But if you can get really good at laying the glory of God on top of your school's day, then you will be invincible when you get out of here. Because there is nothing in the world harder than to go to school and maintain your Christianity. Now, some would say, yeah, because of all the drink and the drug and the, and the church for intimate relationships. Yeah. I would actually argue that the, the, the most unchristian thing that happens in schools is the hierarchy of privilege. These people are better than these people because these people do a thing that better than these people, and these people are better than these people. We set it up and we say, we can look at the school and we can say, the kids just do this on their own. Not encouraged. They do it on their own. They go into a school, teenagers, and say, my God is going to affect how I live. It's not just about staying away from smoking and rock and roll. It's about sitting by the person who has nobody to sit by. That's the hardest thing to be a Christian. That's the hardest way to be a Christian in school. To go to the outcasts and be an outcast with the outcasts. It's hard to walk. You can do that there. You can do that in school. So take what you have Fall down in the worship of the king and let it affect what it is. However minuscule or insignificant you think it might be, it's what you have to do and worship God with it. Jesus wants people who want to carry on about Jesus and people said, no, don't do that. And Jesus said, if they would fly at the rocks would cry out. All rocks have to do are be rocks. But yet they can worship as rocks. Most of you are smarter than rocks. Just kidding. All of you are smarter than rocks. All of you have more to offer. Don't let a rock cry out for you. Do what you do and give what you have in worship of the king. Keep it up. That's not how you operate. Fall down and worship. Because the king we worship is worth our time. The king we worship is worth our investment. If you're just coming to that conclusion today, it is our invitation to you to unite with Jesus. Come on one with the one who is king. We do that and we scriptures ask us to do that through death, burial, resurrection, of baptism, the life of repentance, the life of confession, the life of belief, the life of faith. So come to the cross. Come to the manger, come to the empty tomb, come to the throne. And unite with the king and unite your worship of the king of your life. Days and days start.
day to day that you, day to day that you work.